good night, everybody, and welcome to Tired Intellectuals, where I read you the first chapter or introduction of a book to help with your sleep, focus, or simply you're debating whether or not to buy the book. I read a variety of fiction to non-fiction books, self-improvement to mystery or sci-fi, and the list goes on. Today I'm going to read historical fiction. It has even been developed into its own film. The book has gained much praise by the Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, and Los Angeles Times. Beloved and read by millions, this book tells a story in a significant part of history, reminding us not to forget it, but evolve from it. But, before I reveal the title, I need you to do something for me first. I need you to relax on the surface you're currently sitting on or laying on. If it's the chair in your library, relax. The bed you're on, relax. For a moment, let go of the problems or the great news of today and focus on yourself. This is about you, no one else. So now, Gently and profoundly, take a deep breath and visualize your day evaporize. Your whole day turning into a black screen. Now think of yourself in the middle of that black screen. Focus on who you are, on the person you desire to be. Breathe out. Notice how your body deflates when you do. Notice how maybe the surface you're against right now feels slightly different. And take it in. Once again, with a deep breath in, breathe. Realize how safe you are right now. You are perfectly safe. The walls around you they hold you in and they caress you. The skin around you, it shields you. The mind inside you, that, that's just brilliance. I want you to think how nothing can touch you. How right now nothing can harm you. Right now you are safe, embrace that feeling, now calmly exhale, you might have taken some deep breaths in between, but just focus on exhaling right now, good, you are doing well, let's do it one more time. Close your eyes and just breathe in and feel how glorious that breath is to your lungs, how relieving. Take it in and now let it go. Exhale. Relax against the surface you're on. Wiggle your fingers a bit. 
slightly move your head side to side. Maybe blink a couple times. Maybe lick your lips or bite your tongue. I hope you feel safer and calmer than a few minutes ago. Now, let's begin to today's read. I present you Between Shades of Grey by Ruta Sepetis. I will be reading chapters 1 through 4 due to their shortness. Let's begin. Thieves and Prostitutes Chapter 1 They took me in my nightgown. Thinking back, the signs were there. Family photos burned in the fireplace. Mother sewing her best silver and jewelry into the lining of her coat late at night, and Papa not returning from work. My younger brother Jonas was asking questions. I asked questions too, but perhaps I refused to acknowledge the signs. Only later did I realize that Mother and Father intended we escape. We did not escape. We were taken. June 14, 1941. I had changed into my nightgown and settled in at my desk to write my cousin Joanna a letter. I opened a new ivory writing tablet and a case of pens and pencils. I get from my aunt for my 15th birthday. The evening breeze floated through the open window over my desk, waltzing the curtain from side to side. I could smell the lily of the valley that mother and I had planted two years ago. Dear Joanna. It wasn't a knocking. It was an urgent booming that made me jump in my chair. Fists pounded on our front door. No one stirred inside the house. I left my desk and peered out into the hallway. My mother stood flat against the wall facing our framed map of Lithuania. Her eyes closed and her face pulled with an anxiety I had never seen. She was praying. Mother, said Jonas, only one of his eyes visible through the crack in his door. Are you going to open it? It sounds like they might break it down. Mother's head turned to see both Jonas and me peering out of our rooms. She attempted a forced smile. Yes, darling, I will open the door. I won't let anyone break down our door. The heels of her shoes echoed down the wooden floor of the hallway and her long, thin skirt swayed about her ankles. Mother was elegant and beautiful, stunning in fact, with an unusually wide smile that lit up everything around her. I was fortunate to have mother's honey-colored hair and her bright blue eyes. Jonas had her smile. Loud voices thundered from the foyer. NKVD, whispered Jonas, growing pale. Ted is say they took his neighbors away in a truck. They're arresting people. No, not here, I replied. The Soviet secret police had no business at our house. I walked down the hallway to listen and peeked around the corner. Jonas was right. 
Three NKVD officers had mother encircled. They wore blue hats with a red border and a gold star above the brim. A tall officer had her passports in his hand. We need more time. We'll be ready in the morning, mother said. Twenty minutes, or you won't live to see morning, said the officer. Please, lower your voice. I have children, whispered mother. Twenty minutes, the officer barked. He threw his burning cigarette into our clean living room floor and grounded it into the wood with his boot. We were about to become cigarettes. Chapter 2 Were we being arrested? Where was Papa? I ran to my room. A loaf of fresh bread had appeared on my windowsill. A large wad of ruffles tugged under the edge. Mother arrived at the door with Jonas clinging close behind her. But Mother, where are we going? What have we done? he asked. It's a misunderstanding. Lena, are you listening? We must move quickly and pack all that is useful, but not necessarily dear to us. Do you understand? Lena, clothes and shoes must be our priority. Try to fit all that you can into one suitcase. Mother looked toward the window. She quickly slid the bread and money onto the desk and snapped the curtains shut. Promise me that if anyone tries to help you, you will ignore them. We will resolve this ourselves. We must not pull family or friends into this confusion. Do you understand? Even if someone calls out to you, you must not respond. Are we being arrested? began Jonas. Promise me. I promise, said Jonas softly. But where is Papa? Mother paused, her eyes blinking quickly. He will be meeting us. We have twenty minutes. Gather your things. Now. My bedroom began to spin. Mother's voice echoed inside my head. Now. Now. What was happening? The sound of my ten-year-old brother running about his room pulled a cord within my consciousness. I yanked my suitcase from the closet and opened it on my bed. Exactly a year before, the Soviets had begun moving troops over the borders into the country. Then in August, Lithuania was officially annexed into the Soviet Union. When I complained at the dinner table, Papa yelled at me and told me to never, ever say any derogatory about the Soviets. He sent me to my room. I didn't say anything out loud after that, but I thought about it a lot. Shoes, Jonas. Extra socks, a coat, I heard Mother yell down the hallway. I took her family photo from the shelf and placed a gold frame face up in the bottom of the empty suitcase. The faces stared back at me, happy, unaware. It was Easter two years before. Grandma was still alive. If we really were going to jail, I wanted to take her with me. But we couldn't be going to jail. We had done nothing wrong. Slams and bangs popped throughout the house. Lena, Mother said, rushing into the room. Her, her arms loaded. Hurry! She threw open my closet and drawers, frantically throwing things, shoving things into my suitcase. Mother... I can't find my sketchbook. 
Where is it? I said, panicked. I don't know. We'll buy a new one. Pack your clothes. Hurry. Jonas ran into my room. He was dressed for school in his uniform and little tie, holding his book bag. His blonde hair was combed neatly over to the side. I'm ready, mother, he said, his voice trembling. No, mother stammered, choking on the word when she saw Jonas dressed for academy. She pulled in an even breath and lowered her voice. No, sweetheart, your suitcase, come with me. She grabbed him by the arm and ran down to his room. Lena, put on shoes and socks. Hurry. She threw my summer raincoat on me. I pulled it on. I put on my sandals and grabbed two books, hair ribbons and my hairbrush. Where was my sketchbook? I took the writing tablet, the case of pens and pencils, and the bundles of ripples off my desk and placed them amongst the heap of items we had thrown into my case. I snapped the latches closed and rushed out of the room, the curtains blowing, flapping over the loaf of fresh bread still sitting on my desk. I saw my reflection in the glass door of the bakery and paused a moment. I had a dab of green paint on my chin. I scraped it off and pushed on the door. A bell tinkled overhead. The shop was warm and smelled of yeast. Lena, so good to see you. The woman rushed to the counter to assist me. What may I help you with? Did I know her? I'm sorry, I don't. My husband is a professor at the university. He works for your father, she said. I've seen you in town with your parents. I nodded. My mother asked me to pick up a loaf of bread, I said. Of course, said the woman, scurrying behind the counter. She wrapped the plump loaf in brown paper and handed it over to me. When I held out the money, she shook her head. Please, whispered the woman. We can never repay you as it is. I don't understand. I reached over her with the coin. She ignored me. The bell jingled. Someone entered the shop. Keep your parents our very best regards, said the woman, moving to assist the other customer. Later that night, I asked Papa about the bread. That was very kind of her, but unnecessary, he said. But what did you do? I asked him. Nothing, Lena. Have you finished your homework? But you must have done something to deserve free bread, I pressed. I don't deserve anything. You stand for what is right, Lena, without the expectation of gratitude or reward. Now off to your homework. Chapter 3 Mother packed an equally large suitcase for Jonas. It dwarfed his small thin frame and he had to carry it with both hands, bending backward to lift it off the floor. He didn't complain of the weight or ask for help. The sound of breaking glass and china whirled through the house in quick intervals. We found our mother in the dining room smashing all of her best crystal and china on the floor. Her face glistened with sweat, and her golden ringlets fell loose over her eyes. Mama, no, cried Jonas, running toward the broken shards that littered the floor. I pulled him back before he could touch the glass. Mother, why are you breaking your beautiful things, I asked. She stopped and stared at the china cup in her hand. Because I love them so much. She threw the cup to the floor, not even pausing to see it break before reaching for another. Jonas began to cry. Don't cry, darling. We get much nicer things. The door burst open and three NKVD officers 
entered her house carrying rifles with bayonets. What happened here? demanded a tall officer surveying the damage. It was an accident, Mother replied calmly. You have destroyed Soviet property, he bellowed. Jonas pulled his suitcase closer, fearful that any minute it too might become Soviet property. Mother looked in the foyer mirror to fix her loose curls and put on her hat. Then KVD officer slammed her in the shoulder with the butt of his rifle, throwing her face first into the mirror. Borgias pigs, always wasting time. You won't need that hat, he scoffed. Mother righted and steadied herself, smoothing her skirt and adjusting her hat. Pardon me, she said flatly to the officer, before fixing her curls again and sliding her pearl hat pin into place. Pardon me? Is that really what she said? These men burst into our home at night, slammed her into the mirror, and she asked them to pardon her. Then she reached for it, the long gray coat, and suddenly I understood. She was playing the Soviet officers like a careful hand of cards, not quite sure what might be down next. I saw her in my mind, sewing jewelry, papers, silver, and other valuables into the coat under the lining. I have to use the bathroom, I announced, trying to divert the attention from her mother and the coat. You have 30 seconds. I shut the bathroom door and caught sight of my face in the mirror. I had no idea how quickly it was to change to fade. If I had, I would have stared at my reflection, memorizing it. It was the last time I would look into a real mirror for more than a decade. Chapter 4 The street lamps had been turned off. It was nearly black in the road. The officers marched behind us, forcing us to keep pace with them. I saw Mrs. Raskunas peer out of her curtains. The moment she saw me looking, she disappeared. Mother nudged at my arm, which meant that I should keep my head down. Jonas was having a hard time carrying his suitcase. It was hanging against his shins. Dave, commanded an officer. Hurry. Always hurry. We marched into the intersection of the street toward a large, dark object. It was a truck surrounded by more NKVD. As we approached the rear of the vehicle, I saw people sitting inside it on their luggage. Boost me up before they do, Mother whispered quickly, not wanting an officer to touch her coat. I did as she asked. The officers pushed Jonas up. He fell on his face, his luggage strung on top of him. I made it without falling, but when I stood up, a woman looked at me and clasped her hand to her mouth. Lena, dear, butt in your coat, instructed Mother. I looked down and saw my flower nightgown. In the rush and search for my sketchbook, I had forgotten to change. I also saw a tall, wiry woman with a pointy nose looking at Jonas. Miss Grybus. She was a spinster teacher from school, one of the strict ones. I recognized a few others, the librarian, the owner of a nearby hotel, and several men I had seen Papa speaking with on the street. We were all on the list. I didn't know what that list was, only that we were on it. Apparently, so were the other 15 people sitting with us. The back gate of the truck slammed shut. A low moan came from a bald man in front of me. We're all going to die, he said slowly. We will surely die. Nonsense, said Mother quickly. But we will, he insisted. This is the end. The truck began to move, jerking forward quickly, throwing people off their seats. 
The foiled man suddenly scrambled up, climbed the inside wall of the truck, and jumped out. He smashed onto the pavement, letting out a roar of pain like an animal caught in a trap. People on the truck screamed. The tires screeched to a halt and the officers leapt out. They opened the back gate and I saw the man writhing in pain on the ground. They lifted him up and hurled his crumpled body back into the truck. One of his legs looked mangled. Jonas buried his face in mother's sleeve. I slipped my hand into his. He was shaking. My vision blurred. I squeezed my eyes shut and opened them. The truck jerked forward, moving once again. No, the man wailed, holding his leg. The truck stopped in front of the hospital. Everyone seemed relieved that they would tend to the bald man's injuries, but they did not. They were waiting. A woman who was also on the list was giving birth to a baby. As soon as, in the, as, soon as the umbilical cord was cut, they would both be thrown into the truck. Thank you, everybody. This is all for tonight. I hope you guys got a good sense of what Between Shades of Grey by Ruta Sepetis is. And I hope you give this book a try. Farewell, sleep tight, and I'll see you later.